Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, October 24th, and we have got a big day lined up today. We've got a big week lined up. All kinds of stuff going on this week. I'll talk about that a little later. Right now, I want to talk about today's show. I'm going to be joined here at the Open uh, by Brent Allred. He's the Transportation Practice Leader for Higginbotham Insurance. We're going to be talking about the refuel conference coming up uh, early next week. I'll be traveling this weekend to get there. Uh, Two events, one in Nashville and Memphis. We'll be talking about that and uh, several other things. We're going to jump in and get started right now. Brent, good morning and welcome. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, great to have you here today, and, and thanks for the invitation to come and speak. Um, it's been, it'll be my first speaking engagement since the world changed. Yeah, well, us, us too, as far as having opportunities to, to allow folks to come in and speak to our customers. So excited to have you. Excellent. Excellent. Looking forward to it. So uh, tell us, you know, first, before we get to the conference, tell us about your job there at Higginbotham. What is it you spend your days doing? Well, it's it's not too different from yours. And I'll say this. I, I talk to trucking company owners frequently in relation to the risk management program. So that's obviously dealing with insurance, but it's things outside of that too. Safety in nature. It could be policies, procedures, hiring standards, things like that. Um, we're looking to advise them on what we think is kind of set them up for uh, future success. So that's basically what I do in a nutshell. So one of the things I I love about your agency and what you guys do is you are big on education. You know, you're not there to just say, you know, here's your policy. Here's what it's all about. Like you said, you, you expand out into other areas and help your customers um, with all kinds of things that could impact their insurance. Right. Definitely. I feel like today, if you're if you're doing it right, you've got to be focused on things that, that affect insurance, but also drive bottom line. You know, with the margins being as tight as they are in trucking, we all know that insurance is always a top five expense. And jokingly, it's not funny, but it's the, the reality. It's an expense that doesn't ever seem to go down. <laughs> so how we control that um, is is pretty important. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is. You know, when I was a uh, when I was doing a lot of financial planning, I had a partner um, who handled our the insurance part of of what we did, and you know, it was kind of funny. He he always would say that uh, there was never going to be an insurance channel on cable. You know, it's one of those things that we all have, and most of us don't understand, and most of us probably don't want to understand it, but we should, and especially in business. You know, and I've said this so many times, it, 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 as much as we don't want to talk about it or, you know, we just want to pay the bill and hope it's there when we need it, there's so much more than that. And, and I've, you know, tried to get across to my listeners, you know, that you just shouldn't run out and just grab an insurance policy and think that you're okay. Um, I, I've always recommended, even on the very small side, having an agent. You know, don't try to do this on your own. Find somebody who's a real partner for your business that does know about insurance. And it doesn't mean you have to become an insurance expert, but you should probably spend some time with them and understand the basics of 
what your policies are, when they cover you, when they might not cover you. There's, there's really a lot there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think today, uh, you know, insurance companies are savvy, right? They have a lot of money to spend on attorneys and folks that draft those policies. So having somebody just kind of walk you through what exactly they're, they're intending to cover and what they're not is very important. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've walked in and reviewed policies of another prospect and they, they were sure that something was covered the way they thought it was. And just showing them just little things like that and how had they had a loss, the result would have been very different from what they expected. Huge dollars. These people would have been out. I mean, especially just look at the physical damage side where you're covering your equipment, first party type coverages, uh, just the value and the rise in equipment costs today. If something went uninsured there, you're talking six figure dollars, easy on, on just a truck. I and mean, then you add in a trailer and we're, we're really getting up there. So very important. Yeah, it really is. And, and there's so much confusion. You know, we, we have, a, a, again, you know, my world's kind of the owner-operator world of the really small fleet where this really is an area where most people don't spend a lot of time. They don't know much about their insurance coverage at all. They just kind of say, you know, tell me how much I have to pay and they pay it. And here's the other crazy thing I've always thought about insurance. You know, how do I know for sure I have a good insurance company? I've been paying them for years, but I've never really used the service. How how do I know that they're good? Yeah, I know. That's another valid point, too. I mean, I think you first thing is, like you said, getting an agent involved who's got experience in the transportation space, too. Obviously, if anybody listens to your show, they, they know the lingo of trucking, right? But if you get an agent that doesn't even know what an IFTA is or what the purpose of that serves in the underwriting, I mean, you, you got a problem on your hands. You've got somebody advocating for you that's ignorant. So it's, it's very important you have somebody that knows the transportation space and all the different subclasses of, of freight that can be hauled and what that means for, for those folks. If you're doing intermodal, you know, understanding that. I mean, there's just so many nuances there to you can't be an expert at all of it either. So you're going to run into folks that understand transportation, but may not, may not understand certain segments of transportation. So you've got to do your, your, uh, your due diligence and make sure the people you're partnering with really understand what you're doing, because if they can't tell your story to the insurance company the right way, I'm, I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, the price of your insurance goes up when there's a, when there's not a, an accurate answer provided, there's an assumption made and that assumption is never going to be um, in your favor as a purchaser of insurance. So, um, so many things go into it. And I think that's why we do a good job of educating because if we can show you just having good answers or, or an answer at all to some of these things they're looking for uh, will naturally help get you the best deal that's out there. Yeah. You know, it, one of the things we deal with, um, with owner operators is many of them start being leased to a carrier and running under their authority. And then most of the time, I know it's not a hundred percent, but most of the time that also means they're running under that primary liability and cargo insurance of the carrier. And they don't even have to think about that. They, they don't even realize that, you know, that that exists and then the, the couple of policies they do have to get, you know, the, the, the physical damage is pretty straightforward. I mean, although not totally, there's a lot of things they should know there. I want to talk about that a little bit. But, you know, that's not all that different from their car insurance. You know, there are a lot of similarities. 
The one that I think really trips people up a lot, and you know, even though years ago I did a really deep dive into this and tried to figure it all out and I had a pretty good handle on it, it's not something I want to stay up on all the time. Things change. I don't want to have to go do that. So, you know, when I had my trucks, I had an agent. I trusted them. You know, they took care of all this stuff. But just the confusion around bobtail, deadhead, non-trucking, I think the assumption from most of the owner-operators I've talked to is those are all the same. That's not really true, is it? It's not. And I'll tell you that this is, you're, you're smart to mention that it's an evolving issue because of ELD mandates and stuff. There's there's all kinds of issues that you could argue that, you know, you're not under dispatch. Um, you are in a dispatch. What are you doing with the truck? Is it furthering your business in any way or manner? Um, I, you know, ideally in a perfect world, uh, if an owner operator were able to get that non-trucking liability, or if you want to call it bobtail, there's that word is a little bit interchangeable, uh, inter- interchangeable with insurance relation, but as far as the coverages, they're, they're a little dissimilar there. Um, but I would just say it'd be good if you could marry those with whoever is writing the primary auto liability. That's not always possible, but but if there was a, a method to do that, that's ideal because then what you run into is you don't have two different insurance companies fighting each other to say who's going to pay this claim. You know, it happens if you're on the losing end of that, your non-trucking liability policies now not responding for some reason. That creates a problem for you. So we try to marry up those two if we can. Uh, just to, to coordinate efforts and just say, hey, look, we're on this claim, regardless of what the outcome ends up being. It's we're putting in this bucket or this bucket. And um, so that's one piece of advice I would give the listeners is just to try to, to to do that when it's possible. So if you're if you're leased on to a motor carrier, see if they have an offer um, for that for that coverage through the same insurance company that's providing the primary. That's not always going to be the case, but definitely a good place to start. You know, there there was a time when um, I, I probably didn't understand insurance as good as I should have. And my recommendation to a lot of my clients was, look, if you're going to be leased to a carrier, um, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to get the best deal just piggybacking on their insurance. It, it's easy. You know, they'll take it right out of your settlement. It's done. Um, after a while, I stopped giving, after I did the deep dive into insurance, I stopped giving that advice. Because there are some awful programs out there, and just because they're easy um, doesn't mean that that's what you want, or even cheap. And I said, you know, it's not that you shouldn't use theirs, but you should shop the market. You should go talk to an agent. You should understand. The other problem I see with carrier insurance, in my experience, it's almost impossible to get to somebody and actually talk to them. You know, you're under this big umbrella of the carrier, and it isn't like you have your own agent. So a lot of times my advice really kind of changed to, uh, you could look at their insurance and compare it, but you really might want to talk about just having an agent, somebody that can guide you, that you can call and talk to directly. And it's the same person. You know, the big carrier, yeah, there's a phone number you can call. Every time you call, you get somebody different, you get different answers. So, you know, as much as we don't want to think about insurance all that much. It, it's one of those things that having an agent really makes a lot of sense. Well, obviously, I'm a big fan of that that statement, being that that's my job. But um, but no, I, I do agree. I think insurance, for some reason, and I can't figure this out. Maybe you can help me out here. We get lumped into a different category from that of a an attorney 
corporate attorney or even accountant for these trucking companies. It's like um, there's a loyalty in buying from one law firm or one accounting firm that has history that they've established with that trucking company. But when it seems to come to insurance agents, um, far too often I find this mentality that um, we've got to you know, constantly be looking for the next best thing. And that's what I really sell against or preach that, that is not wise. If somebody learns your story, knows your business, they're doing a good job for you, they represent most of the major insurance companies, and um, you feel like they have your best interests served every year, you're really better off to stick with that agent because they're going to probably do some things for you. Uh, this is under the under the hood here, but I'm going to give you the inside scoop. They're going to do some things for you, whether it may be um, payment related, if there's an issue you're behind, or a claims matter where something's gray, they may get step in and advocate for you. They're much more likely to do that if you've got a, a buying history with them than you do just finding the cheapest deal every year because one other guy has a market but is not somebody you really trust. So it's something I haven't been able to figure out. I'm very blessed and feel like most of the customers I work with understand that, but um, just can't figure out why those industries don't have some more purchasing um, arrangements. You know, I might be able to explain that on, on, you know, from my point of view down on the smaller end, owner operators and carriers, if we think about it, um, my relationship with the bookkeeper, accountant, tax preparer, um, at the very least, I'm, I'm going to talk to them at least once a year. I, I have to. My taxes need to be done. Um, and there's quite a bit going on there. You know, there, there's a, a at least once a year, I'm going to work pretty intensely with that person. If I'm smart, I'm going to work with them more often than that. You know, at, at the very least, I used to recommend to my clients when I did accounting and taxes, we had a program where we just called it a mid-year review. After six months were over and we had their accounting data in, we just take that six months and we would double it and we'd say, here's likely what you're going to be looking at at the end of the year, tax-wise. We'd give them a big heads up for what's coming. So there's a, you know, more of a working relationship there. We might even check in with them once a quarter, you know, have you made your quarterly payments, any adjustments you want to make. So you're paying them every month. You're working with them a couple times a year at least. An attorney, most people at the bottom end don't have an attorney. I mean, it's not something we need very often. I've, I've been in business 35, almost 40 years total. I don't have an attorney. I never have. I, I don't want one. Um, I don't you know, hope I don't need one. And when I do, I'm probably just going to go out and find one for whatever happened right then, you know, pay them and be done with it. And, and I have used attorneys over the years, but it's always been like that, you know? And I think one of the difference there is sometimes I need a very specific attorney. You know, at, at one point I needed a, an attorney to deal with the sale of a business. So I really wanted somebody that specialized in that. You know, that was what they did every day. So you don't see people at, at this end of the, the industry really have attorneys. They just go kind of find one when they need one, and hopefully we don't need them. Insurance, I think here's the problem. I pay you every month, and I have almost no interaction with my insurance company. And I think that's why there's no loyalty there. I don't, I don't know anybody. I don't work with anybody. I don't have a relationship with them. I just pay the bill and hope they're going to be there when I need them. And if somebody comes along and there's a better price, I'll probably just grab it. 
Yeah, I think I, I, I do agree with what you're saying. I think where we can bridge the gap and maybe the, the world I play in versus what others that I compete with might do. But, you know, a good customer of ours, we're checking in similar to what you were talking about as an accountant. I mean, if you're not doing that, that to me is creating that distrust or that feeling that there's not a sense of loyalty or best interest being served. So if that were the case, and I didn't hear from my guy at all, Cal, uh, but once a year, and that's to ante up for another year, and here's your bill, see you later, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing. So I can't fault people for that. I guess the, in my thinking, when there's value created there, which is why we built the business model we have, you create value, people are going to be loyal. If you take literally just put your interests and align them with them, the rest takes care of itself. And I do think there's a lot of, I will say, easy barriers to entry into the insurance business too. And I'm not here to pick on folks, but I would just say in most states to pass an insurance exam is not that all, all that uh, difficult to do these days. So you may be running into that as well when there's folks that just are running around peddling insurance that don't really know what they're doing. And you've had an experience with one of those folks and that can certainly change the way you buy. So, um, but anyway, I think it's all interesting how it all intersects. You know, I, I think you hit it right on the head there, especially, again, in my market. You know, when, when you get to the point where you're talking about multiple trucks, multiple trailers, drivers, you start to grow, uh, insurance becomes something you, you really can't just pay the bill and ignore. Or you shouldn't. I mean, it's a really bad idea. But I think it's a bad idea for a guy with one truck, even a guy with one truck leased to a carrier. I, I would rather see them get an agent, work with them, um, and, and again, when you talk about your business model and adding value, I, I, I'd love that. And we just don't see a lot of that in our part of the market. I, I'd love to see more of that. You know, this, this conference coming up, we haven't talked about it a lot yet. I want to talk about it a little bit. There's some things I want to come back to on insurance. Uh, is this conference to open? Is it open to somebody who owns one truck? Sure. Yeah, I mean, this, this conference was designed years ago uh, for the intent of creating value in the transportation community. So what we're here talking about today is the same thing we try to do for anybody out there um, that does this for a living. And there's a lot going on every year. Obviously, the ATA conference is going on right now. There's, there's legislative updates. There's changes going on um, from the insurance company's side of things. There's, there's new legal ramifications for how you do things and don't do things with contracts and stuff like that. So getting in front of folks and bringing that information to them at least once a year is very critical. Whether you're buying insurance on one truck or you don't have to buy insurance at all, I still think you benefit from this event just from getting the information and kind of knowing what's going on out there so that you make informed decisions, you know, whatever that may be. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I have to admit, as much as I hate to, if I go back to when I was, you know, a new owner operator and trying to grow a fleet, and I knew education was important. It always has been to me. I mean, I don't, I don't even understand the idea of how you're in a business for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, but never really try to grow your knowledge. So I, I would go to events. But you're also out there trying to run a business. It's hard. It's not easy to take time and travel somewhere. So I was picky about which events I would go to. You know, I might hit two or three a year and I try to make, you know, the, the biggest impact I could. What event can I go to where I'm going to learn the most? And I have to say, I probably would have skipped an event like this. I would have looked at it and went, oh, it's, it's, it's insurance. <laughs> um, but 
what happened, though, <laughs> was as once I started speaking and I really went out to a lot of conferences, TCA and those kind of things and, and events like this, I totally changed my mind about that. If I could go back, this would have been one that I would have gone to events like this until I knew enough, you know, because I knew nothing about insurance, like virtually zero other than, you know, here's how much I have to pay every month. Uh, I wish I would have done something like this sooner in my career. Uh, insurance affects us all in, you know, so many ways. Uh, so I'm encouraging people to come to this event. If you're an owner-operator with one truck, if you're thinking about becoming an owner-operator, learn this ahead of time. Get, get this one out of the way. Attend at least one event like this. Um, you may even make some really good contacts, may find an agent. Um, I, I just think this would, uh, this would make it much closer to the top of my list if I had to do it over. Well, and I think it's, it's, I want to hit on something. I, I try to be very cognizant of when we design this, um, that was the time for me. You know, like you said, people are out there, they want to be running their business. We don't want to take them away from that for very long. So how we designed this was it's a half day commitment on whoever comes to that. Now there might be travel time involved. Obviously you're having to come in early to make it there on time, but for, for folks that are in the area, certainly it's a half day commitment you're getting two free meals out of it. Uh, so if you like good food, you know, that always has a benefit. Uh, but we want to get you back to doing what makes you money. And hopefully you've learned a lot in a short period of time. And I think we did a good job of how we line up the speakers. They cover a lot of very different topics and, and, and all have major impacts on how insurance companies do their thing, but also how things are going to affect transportation for 24 months down the road. So, um, I think it's just good if you want to level the playing field and understand somewhat how the insurance companies are reacting to things, you've got to, to go to the same events they attend to understand where their mindset's at. They're being educated by these folks. So um, you've got to, you know, I really feel like we as agents certainly need to go to events like this if we're going to understand why they're seeing certain trends or certain developments so that we can be out in front of that educating our customers for what's to come. You know, so if you're not doing these things, I'm with you. Um, ignorance is bliss kind of thing you know you're you're sitting there waiting the, the old hammer and nail yeah. <laughs> deal you're the nail and somebody's the hammer so you want to avoid that if you can yeah you know the, the I, i'm looking forward to the speakers like you said you've got such a a wide array of topics um a couple really interesting speakers we're gonna have one of them on a little later this morning um but the other thing I try to get across to people, and again, you don't know this if you don't know this, the speakers are awesome. You're going to learn while they're on stage. But for me, probably the biggest benefit I get from going to events like this is the rest of the time, the, the meals, the breakouts, meeting other people in the industry. I, mean, that, I have made so many good contacts at events like this that I would never make if you're not there. So there's a lot of value in the speakers. You know, a lot of people, though, they'll say, well, I don't want to go to conferences. I don't take in information very well like that, or they're nervous or whatever it might be. But it's, it's the whole event. It's not just who's on stage and talking at the time. You're going to learn then. But you're going to learn a lot more if you interact. And I, I have to tell people because I know a lot of people are shocked when they hear this, but it's absolutely true. I'm a total introvert. 
I mean, I have a very hard time mingling at events like this. Um, and I've just forced myself to over the years. One of the things that helps is if you're a speaker, people come to you. You know, it, it, so that made it easier for me. But I, I've just kind of pushed through that and I go to these events and I just kind of do the best I can to meet people. And when you do, I think that's where a lot of the value in events like this really is, the, the contacts you're going to make. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm Matt. So just having our customers, let's just talk about that for a second. So the customers we represent currently, having them get together, I look at it from a benefit of the side talk that goes on. Hey, who are you using to purchase tires? Who are you guys using for, for fuel programs today? Um, how was your experience dealing with that insurance company you're dealing with today? We looked at a quote from them last year and didn't go with them. How has your experience been so that I could be more informed for next year's decision. It's that stuff that we see a lot of benefit from, and they appreciate that. Um, some are competitors, right? So I know it's not always uh, fun to be in the same room as your competitors. I certainly know how that feels, but there's something to be gained from that too. If you can put business aside and maybe just find commonality, everybody has to do certain things. So like I said, I go back to the analogy of purchasing tires. Everybody has to buy them. I don't think that I don't know how ugly it gets, but I wouldn't think your competitor is going to stick you on a conversation approaching something like that. So there's still value to be gained regardless if you guys are competing for the same business. Uh, and I think everybody would agree trucking is such an important industry. And I think we all learned that if we didn't already know it during the pandemic and how important it was to get stuff where it needed to go. So everybody's rooting for you guys. I know that there's plenty of bad actors out there that love to sue them too, but um, you know, I do feel like as a whole, the community's behind trucking again. And, you know, I think events like this really help to find better ways to do things. So, um, I encourage you to spend your time. I know it's a half a day commitment, but I think it'll be well worth it. Yeah. And, and I would even tell people to, to look at it as a day. You know, it, for the most part, as an owner operator, once you've wiped out a half a day, you've really wiped out the whole day. Plan on staying, hanging out, you know, going to whatever might be going on, meals, whatever. That's where a lot of the magic happens. And, you know, you mentioned the, the competitor thing. And I, when I first started going to events like this, TCA, I, I was a little shocked because I thought, wait a minute, these people are absolutely in competition every day. Uh, and, and this is a tough business. Margins are small. It almost seems like the, the people who are most likely to attend the, because here's the other thing you'll find. I, I've been in this industry a long time. I go to events all over the country and big, small. You tend to see the same people over and over and over. There seems to be a group that, that realizes how important education and events like these are. And then there's a 80% of the industry that never bothers. So it almost seems like the industry is really, really small to me because I've been going to these events for years and it's the same people. But what shocked me is when they are at these events, you wouldn't think they were competitors at all. I've never seen people share so many things about their business at events like this with people who really are their competitors. I've seen the same thing. I've, I've had a similar experience. In fact, I'll give it from my personal experiences where obviously I'm not the only insurance agent in the country. Uh, there's several out there that do a phenomenal job. And I've noticed that the 
when you go to events like this and they, if the general mindset is, how do we all get better? If that's the forefront of your mind and just being curious, you know, having the curiosity to ask those questions and say, hey, what are you seeing here? Maybe you're, the, you represent the Midwest and a lot of customers up that way. I'm in the Southeast. We have customers in the Southwest, you know. What are some of the folks seeing over there as well? I think I'm I, I've been surprised as well is what I'll say. Folks are typically uh, willing to help you out there and just have a conversation as long as you're not getting into specifics about which customers you represent and things like that. I've not seen there to be too many arguments or disputes. We're all trying to better uh, ourselves and the people we represent. I feel like I'd like to think uh, the United States of America is still a country where we all try to help each other, but um, I know we don't see that every day, but I'm still in belief it's there. So. Yeah, I, I, I am too. I, I think it is a smaller group, but that's okay. I don't mind being in the minority in a case like this. You know, the the analogy I have, I coached, I wrestled for years and then I coached wrestling for a lot of years. And, you know, I co- coached a high school team, very competitive, but I also ran a club the rest of the year. I mean, we wrestled almost year round. We took like two months off in the summer. But I ran a club and we opened up that club to everybody. And it was really all of the kids we were going to be competing against in high school. We were wrestling together the rest of the year. And it was really interesting to see how, you know, even these kids got it. Really competitive people, I think, do this more than anything. You might think it was the opposite. But I find that really competitive people want to get better and they're willing to do whatever they have to do to get better. What we needed, one of the reasons we did this, we needed more competition. We had advanced so far that our whole high school schedule, it was almost a cakewalk. I mean, we weren't, we weren't really getting any better during our, our regular season. And I wanted to get prepared for the, you know, the, the tournament season the state-level tournaments at the end. And the only way to do that was to have better competition. And we couldn't control our schedule in high school. It was set by the state and all the rules. And, I mean, we had to wrestle teams where it was literally a shutout. And and we had kids getting pinned in, you know, we were pinning them in, in 10 seconds sometimes. I mean, it was just, it was almost embarrassing. So in order to get better, we had to find better competition. And, and the club did that. But we'd... Most of the year, we're wrestling with these kids, and then come the high school season, we were competing against them. But I find that really competitive people have no problem sharing with their competitors because, like you said, it makes everybody better. I agree. I agree. And I think, I think you know, without being too political in my statement, I would just say we all have those that we know and we've gone to events and realized they do business very different than we do. And we're never probably going to be friendly with them to the extent that we're going to try to share uh, trade secrets or anything that will help make them better because we just know they're vastly different in how they, their practitioner, their, their practitioner type deal is just not what we do. So, but I would say the large majority folks do think like we do and want to do the things we do. And I look at it as us versus them type mentality. We're all trying to get better. We're trying to weed out those that don't do it the right way. It's a constant improvement, setting the bar at new heights. So it's the exact analogy with the wrestling club team, that's, that's spot on. It's in every industry. We all want to take each other to the next level. 
And you have a natural way of weeding folks out that don't want to do it the right way, whether that be their unethical things that you hear about, um, I'm sure. But, but yeah, I, I do think I'm, I'm a big proponent of going to events, meeting people, and um, just shaking their hands and knowing, hey, look, this is, this is what's out there. It makes you better, too. So you go back to your customers, you realize those people could be calling on them at any point, any time. Wouldn't be very good to know that um, if you're not prepared and, and taking care of them, you know? So good for everybody. Yeah, it, it really is. Here's the other thing I would say about going to events, because I, I started doing it pretty early in my career. And then I got involved in the, the Florida road team when I was in Florida. So that was, I mean, that was the whole point of it. I mean, it, and that's really um, where I learned how to speak uh, on stage. And a lot of people are shocked about this too. But at the time, it was my biggest fear in life by far. I was so terrified of public speaking. I mean, this goes back to elementary school. You know, I get so excited when we had to do a book report because I love to read, except the part where you had to stand up and give the book report. I I would just skip school that day. I I just wouldn't go. Um, It was that bad. I mean, and and it was like that. And then, you know, the, the first time somebody said, you should probably speak, I thought, are you insane? Um, there's no way, but, uh, one of the things I learned by going to these events as, you know, an owner operator, a very small fleet owner, I was unique. You know, there aren't that many, um, small fleet owners or, or single truck owners that go to these events. Sometimes none. Some of the events, I was the only one. Now, one of the advantages to that is, if everybody there is almost the same, you know, they're fleet owners, this size, that size, people want to hear from you. They, they want to know what's going on in, in your part of the world. Most of them started there, right? I mean, wouldn't, from your Absolutely. point of view, don't you see most of the fleet owners probably started with one truck? It's a pretty common thing. Absolutely. And look at, so, so look at the research side of the transportation industry right now. If you pull all the filings, that are out there today, and I, I can't give you the updated number. It's a lot. I would I would argue that that one to two truck owner represents the masses of the transportation industry. You're the 60, 70% of, of the filings that are out there made up of folks like that, who we never seem to hear from. Right. So how are you going to tell me the 30% dictate what changes from a legislation standpoint or from a technology adoption standpoint and all that? We don't hear from the average folks that are out there building a business, starting off from the ground zero, who are very knowledgeable people, hardworking people trying to build a business. That is, to me, where we're missing the mark in our industry from all fronts, insurance, you know, to, to research, to all those things. It's just, it seems like it's overlooked and they make up the masses and uh, something's got to be done there. So encouraging them to come to events would be a start, but yeah, they, that they, they represent the large majority and they're almost what I would call the talent. So. Yeah. It, it, they, they clearly are the majority of the people that move freight. There's all kinds of statistics out there about it. So the, the first time I heard one of my thought and I can't even remember it, but it's something like, I don't know, 90% of the freight is moved by fleets with less than 10 trucks. I, I probably have the specifics wrong, 
But when I first heard it and you you think of, well, wait a minute, look at these giant fleets. Their trucks are everywhere. You see them all over the place. Well, you see them because they're branded. You, you can't miss them. And the, the, the small side of the market isn't branded. It's scattered. It's all over the place. The first time I heard that statistic, I thought there's no way that can be true. But it is. Um, it really, the freight is moved by my market, the small fleet and the owner-operator. And the advantage I found going to events like this early in my career when I was trying to grow a trucking company was I'm in a place with almost everybody else here has grown a trucking company. That's what they do. Where could I go where I could get this kind of a, and And like we said earlier, these people are very willing to share their knowledge. It, nobody hesitates to, to tell their stories and what worked for them and what didn't work for them. Um, I, you know, I, I always say the, the biggest thing that, that drivers and owner-operators miss out on is their ability to learn while they drive. I mean, who else can spend 60 hours a week learning things? Almost nobody, unless you're independently wealthy, and then who really cares if you, you know, you can just go learn whatever you want at that point. But if you're trying to learn about business, the problem, we mentioned it earlier, you're running a business. That takes an awful lot of time. Where's the time left to learn well, first off, you have to make it. And, and I've always said owner-operators should be PhDs in something. you got 60 hours a week to listen to audiobooks, to listen to webinars. I mean, there's so much material now that you can access in seconds on your phone, and you should be learning all the time you're driving. I would say the second biggest thing they're missing out on are events like this. And, and I never see them there, or, or very, very seldom do I see them there. And you, you're almost kind of the unique person in the room, and everybody's willing to share their advice. Yeah, I, I, so I travel quite a bit. So I drive, I fly, mainly drive. Um, and I'm going to various small towns across the United States to, to meet with folks and, and love doing it. But I completely agree. Um, that you have that that time to do something, to learn, to you know, to do something to to progress. That's how I found out about you. Just to be honest, Kevin. I mean, I was listening to your shows, and I felt like you were very knowledgeable in all different facets of transportation. I learned so much just listening to you and other people you had on your show talk. And I can't tell you how valuable that is. It, it, imagine me walking into a trucking company and just learn something I found to be very valuable. They may or may not know that. You know, these owners are there at the office managing operations all day. They don't have that time out on the road that they used to have. And so you bring in on that as valuable. So using that time wisely is critical. I love it. I feel like, you know, cell phones have changed the game a little bit with having hands free and being able to talk to folks that eat up some of your time if you're productive. But there's certainly that in between where you shouldn't be and hopefully you're not checking text messages and emails. So you have that uninterrupted time to get better and yeah, I, I love it. I'm a huge proponent of when I'm on the road. I have stuff pre-downloaded that I want to listen to that's all centered around a topic that I want to learn more about. I'm not listening to a lot of music, although I like that when I'm tired, but you, you get what I'm saying. I do agree with you in that, but there's a huge opportunity that seems to be missed by a lot of folks to to really become an expert in a lot of different areas. Yeah, you know, I, I feel pretty fortunate. One of the things that, you know, I, 
very early on, I just really liked to read. I actually love to read. I average about two books a week. I have most of my life. The interesting thing is I can't sit and listen to an audiobook. I just can't do it. I've tried. Um, I've even tried when I'm doing things like, you know, maybe working out or working in the garden or whatever, throwing some headphones. It, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I prefer to read, and I know a lot of people don't like to read, and that's their excuse. Well, I just hate reading. I, I don't comprehend it well. The one time that I can listen and love to listen is when I drive, I, even on a plane. I can't do it on a plane for some reason. It, it, for me, on a plane, I'd rather just open the book and read it than listen to it. But when I drive, that was always my time. Um, early on in my career, um, you know, it used to be a really big thing, like these programs on, on audio tape, cassette tapes. I go all the way back to cassette tapes with these. Um, you know, people like Anthony Robbins and there's just Dennis Watley, just tons of those guys that used to put out those um, kind of programs. They were expensive. I mean, they were three and four hundred dollars sometimes for, you know, 10 CDs on how to set goals or whatever. Um, I spent a lot of my money on that stuff a lot. But then when I also started doing, I had like library cards for like 10 libraries, everything within, you know, a hundred mile radius of where I lived. And on weekends, I'd go hit the libraries and check out audiobooks and, and programs like that. You know, something I started doing really early. So even if you don't like to read, even if you don't think you can comprehend that kind of stuff, just, just listen, you know, listen, you have all that time and it's week after week after week. What, what have you learned in the last year while you were driving. If all you're doing is listening to the news, you're probably not learning much of anything. You're probably just getting aggravated every day. So take a, take a break from all That's that. The truth. And, yeah. Take a break from all that and spend your time learning something and an event again, we'll come back to this event. Um, great event. I'd love to see uh, some owner operators show up. So we'll talk about the details a little bit. Um, right now I would like to, uh, Add to our conversation here. Um, I want to bring in Carrie Palmer, Esquire. Carrie, welcome to the program. Well, hello. How are you? Great to have you here. I'm doing good this morning. How about you? Good. Very well. I've been listening to you both. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So uh, you are one of the speakers at the event. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, let's see. We can do the short version or the long version. The, the short, long version is I grew up in racing. And so I knew about motor vehicles, trucks, cars, things like that. I ended up in law school through a securitist route. And so... Uh, kind of ventured then into product liability, you know, equipment, vehicles, all those kinds of things, and then uh, trucking. And so it made a lot of sense because I knew those things. I had a background in those things. Um, I was a trial lawyer, and so having that background was helpful. And so after years and years of being a trial lawyer, I, I kind of got tired and frustrated with dealing with facts that I couldn't change, you know, you would, there would be an accident or there would be a contract dispute or there would be some issue between, you know, companies and, or third parties or whatever, but you were always dealing with something that you couldn't, you, you know, you, 
you couldn't change. It just, those were set in stone and you had to present them to a jury and hope that they did the right thing with them. And, and after a while I thought, you know, I, I think I've learned so much that I could be helpful on the front end. So I started kind of moving my practice to a risk management, strategic, you know, um, project kind of focus. And, um, and that's really what I've done for the last three or four years and, and do more and more of that. So I do a lot of risk management. I talk to insurance companies and their clients. I talk to lots of motor carriers. I kind of focus these days on trucking and transportation. Um, and so some of that is contract executive work. Some of it is leadership and development. Some of it is I draft a lot of independent contractor programs for motor carriers and leasing programs for equipment leasing companies and it's lots of stuff. Yeah, it really is. I, I want to go back to what you started with because you're going to fit right in here. What kind of racing did you grow up in? Uh, drag racing. My dad was a two-time world champion wow. in uh, NHRA. Yeah. So it was a heck of a way to grow up. Um, but that was my first uh, exposure to to both mechanics and trucking, right? Because a yeah, lot of those... That's right. um, Rigs would come in on big rigs and I'd climb up in and around them and that kind of thing in between, you know, changing tires and getting the car down the strip. <laughs> there you go. So, um, you, you know, my part of the market really is kind of the owner operator world, one guy, one truck, then they kind of grow into small fleets. So I've kind of followed them along. So yeah, my sweet spot's probably 10 trucks or less. You know, you get past 10 trucks, a lot of things start to change. I, I work with some companies, you know, 25 or 50 trucks. But for the most part, um, what I do is one truck, one guy. Uh, and many of those guys, especially the 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 age group that I'm in, it's kind of still the biggest age group in the market right now, um, older uh, a lot of them started as gearheads. They're all gearheads. We were all into some kind mm -hmm. of equipment. I grew up racing motocross. Um, we do a show on Fridays called Trucking Technology and Efficiency, where we talk about fuel mileage and maintenance issues. And um, my co-host is a race engineer. He's actually over in Italy right now. We talked to him was it yesterday. Uh, I don't remember when we talked to him. Uh, oh, no, Friday, last Friday. Yeah, he's in Italy on the um, Ferrari tour. He's, uh, he got uh, got picked up on the Ferrari tour as a race engineer. So we talk a lot about that kind of stuff around here. It, it really goes hand in hand. You know, the three things um, that are really common, um, most owner-operators from that era, it's not so true anymore, uh, grew up on a farm around a lot of equipment, and a lot of them grew up racing. I mean, those are, are really common things, and, and most of us tend to be gearheads. So you fit right in here. Uh, absolutely, and and it makes it fun, and it's great. You know, I started, one of the things that kind of started me on the path that I'm on now is uh, I'm a little bit of a, of a technology nerd as well, and, and whether that came from my background in, you know, racing and mechanics, I don't know, but... Um, I started years ago when we first started seeing telematics and all of the onboard technology and all that kind of thing. I was super interested in it. And so I learned about it. And, you know, I was one of the first people to talk to you know, engineers at Qualcomm and stuff and say, all right, tell me about this technology. I want to understand it. 
And so I ended up getting picked up on the speaker circuit many years ago, talking about all of what then was new technology. And of course, you know, now it's on every truck and we can't get away from it and all that kind of thing. But, but I, of course, it's a big deal in litigation as well, because, you know, getting that information, saving it, making sure that you have it, you can present it in a way that a jury understands it. You know, I had to, I had to know it. And, um, and so all of that experience, I think, kind of rolls into this holistic approach that I um, kind of use now in my business. Yeah, interesting. You know, certainly technology has become a, a really important part of trucking. A lot of it is kind of in the background. We don't even realize it's there. I also have to believe from your point of view, a, a lot of today's technology has created real nightmares um, with all the distractions in the in vehicles for drivers now? Yeah, with that question. I mean, I, I spent a lot of years working on accidents. I was I defended trucking companies and drivers for many, many years. And, you know, I was one of those people that was on the side of the road while it, the, you know, the accident was still fresh and was getting cleaned up. And I did a lot of that work early for insurance companies when, when that kind of thing was Still, what was just happening where we would send out an insurance um, loss risk analyst or something. We'd send out a lawyer. We'd send out an accident reconstructionist, and we would be out there, you know, kind of along with law enforcement, tr- trying to figure out quickly what happened because we thought, you know, the sooner we could get to an answer, the sooner we could be helpful to the people who were involved, whether those were the trucking companies and the drivers, or whether those were third parties, and. Um, and back then, you know, when the technology was new, even Highway Patrol didn't understand it, didn't know how to get it. And, and we were providing that information and they were like, wow, this, this is really a game changer. I mean, we used to think that we knew we could get to answers about how things happen just by based on the evidence on the road. Now we have these extra tools. And, and so that's great. And it's been very helpful. Um, certainly the distraction and the, and the number of dings and bells and lights and whistles that are, that are available in the trucks um, are, can be a distraction. And, and that's training. You know, I do a lot of training with trucking companies and drivers and that kind of thing. When, when uh, drive cam and, and the cameras and stuff came out, I did a lot of training with drivers to help them understand, you know, it's not really just big brother watching you here, are all the ways that we can use this to protect you. And once they understand that, they were much more receptive to that equipment. And we want them to know that, you know, we're not doing this because, you know, the motor, com- the motor carrier isn't doing this because they want to spy on you or they want to be big brother. We're really doing this because we believe in you and we want to support you. And whether it was your fault, you made an, you made an error and, and we need to know that early so that we can help you and protect you and do the right thing here or whether it's not your fault as, you know, the federal accident reporting uh, statistics, which is the FARS data that the government's been keeping for over over 30 years, shows that, you know, on average, 70% of all motor carrier car interactions, crashes, fatalities that occur are the result of an error on the part of the passenger car. You know, and that's not what most people think. And so it's that kind of information that you have to pull all that information, whether it's telematics and the, you know, driver's um, statement and the information that you get on the, at the accident, you have to pull all that together and, and make a story, weave together a story that will be persuasive to a judge and jury. 
Um, but again, I, you know, when I was doing all of that and there, you had all this technology, you had all this data, um, <clears throat> I just felt like I was, I was constantly being handed a box full of Legos and, <laughs> and that was the only thing I got to, to build with, right? I could only right. build with the Legos in the box that I was handed. And, and now what I feel like I get to do is through, you know, um, organizations like the Higginbotham group and the refuel event that we're having here and other companies that I work with and, uh, motor carriers and organizations that I work with, you know, you, you really get to look at, at these issues. And because of all the experience I have, I get to ask the questions. Okay. These are some of the things I've seen that have gone wrong and that have resulted in bad things, but whether those were accidents or arguments between companies and their vendors or arguments within companies between owners or whatever it is, how about we take a look at all of that? And I do something I call a business health audit. <clears throat> And I say, how about we take a look at all that and we see where you have risk that might be lurking around that we could clean up now. That way we don't have to wait until it blows up and becomes this big thing and it gets expensive and you need, you know, you're in a courtroom where you can't really control the outcome and all that kind of thing. How do we look at from a, a risk or strategic strategic perspective um, and kind of clean things up and make it so that your business runs smoothly and we're building a better bigger, stronger, faster business instead of getting bogged down with um, things, disputes and lawsuits that detract yeah. from productivity, focus and creativity, you know? Absolutely. You know what I, I love about this event <laughs> coming up, and I, I love just talking to you two this morning. Um, one, I, you know, I mentioned books earlier in education, and that's what this event is about. One of my favorite books, been around forever now, it seems like, uh, The Seven Habits. And the first one mm -hmm. is really what you were just talking about right there. The, the first habit, be proactive. And it seems like this mm -hmm. is one of the areas, insurance and risk management, and it, that it may be the worst. It, most people just don't want to be proactive about this. They want to, you know, pay their insurance bill and forget all about it and go back to business. And, but, but this is an area where if you'll just take some time up front and be proactive and, and go through the things you just talked about, then you can just kind of forget about it, put it on, you know, set it and forget it, get it right in the beginning, and then you can go back to business. But I, I, so many people in this area are just the opposite, not proactive at all. They just want to, you know, write the check and forget about it and go back to business. Uh, absolutely. And there's so many opportunities to be proactive. I mean, you guys were talking earlier about how important it is to meet people in the industry and know the kind of people that get interested in this. And you know, one of the things that I do when I do risk management and strategic analysis is, is I work with people to put together a, what I call a project partners list. You know, I do, for instance, uh, because I've been interested in technology for so long and because trucking, unfortunately, has become a little bit of a target for uh, bad actors in the, um, in the digital space. So hacking, ransomware, all those kinds of things for uh, motor carriers and leasing entities and things like that. You know, you don't want to have never thought about that issue and then have it happen one morning. I've certainly had clients where that happened. Fortunately, they knew who I was and they called me and said, I think you know something about this. What do we do? And, and we were off and running. But imagine not knowing anybody and not 
being able to get into your system and having trucks and drivers on the road and not being able to communicate with them because the system's locked down. And so, you know, how about we not wait for that horrible thing to happen and chaos to ensue? And we have a plan for what would happen, I, I don't know, even if you lost all power, if you were had a tornado or a hurricane, if you, you know, for heaven, you know, heaven forbid you were the victim of a ransomware attack. And now you have a list of people that you call and you're not running around asking, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You've got a plan. So that's one thing. Maybe you have, um, you know, you want to make sure that you know at some point in the future, if if you get sued and you've got to put a witness up, who's going to be a good witness for you? Or are you going to have somebody, maybe your CEO is a great guy and gets great business and you know, he's a very dynamic human being, but maybe he completely shuts down when he's got a really nasty lawyer on the other side shooting ugly questions at him. <laughs> let's let's know that ahead of time, right? And yeah. so all those kinds of things. Insurance, you know, I heard you all talking about them. I, I love proactive um, issues on insurance because you don't want to be the morning of an event looking at your policy going, do, am I covered for this? What do I do? Who do I call? What do I do? Yeah. What do I not do? What if I do this? Do I, you know, do I undermine the coverage? You know, all those things, we can just take a look at the business and figure out what are the to-do lists, the worst case might happen. Then you can set it and forget it. There you but go. setting it and forgetting it, paying a premium and never doing going the next step, um, tends to be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> really does. Do, do the work up front. And it, you don't have to become an insurance expert. This isn't something you have to do all the time. But if you do it once and you do it right and you have a good agent and you go through these things, you know, know up front mm -hmm. from your agent, what are you going to do when the accident happens right there on the side of the road before anybody's there before you can even talk to your insurance agent, a lot of things can go wrong right then, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, you know, in addition to insurance, there's other things. I mean, there's a lot of statistics and research about, um, and this is, a, this is true across all industries, not just transportation, but uh, the, one of the primary places where litigation risk exists is in your employment. Uh, relationships, whether you have employees or contractors or whatever it is, but those relationships tend to bring uh, litigation risk. So whether it's discrimination or, you know, uh, hiring policies or whatever kinds of things, you can look at those. You can have a plan for those. You can have a plan for business succession. You know, how many people think that they're going to just pass a business on to a child or something like that, and then maybe the child grows up and doesn't want the business and now you've got to sell it. And are you ready for that? So there's lots of things that we can be proactive about. And, you know, the key is that, uh, what's the old saying? And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, yeah. right? So it doesn't take long to think through these things in the beginning and just know this is kind of the path forward. And maybe then you check in with that, whether you have a business partner or a spouse or somebody that works with you in, a small business, 
you know, just do that check-in maybe once or twice a year. And are we still on the right path? Are we moving in the direction that we want to move in? Have we thought about the things that are key in our industry? What's changing? What do we need to know? And another great reason why you want to attend an event like this, because it's always kind of keeping you on the cutting edge of what's going on out there and what do you need to know and be proactive about. Yeah, you know, you mentioned employment. I'll, I'll give you the scenario I deal with a lot. Again, I, I tend to deal with that one truck owner operator, and then a lot of times they want to grow, which I mentioned coming to these events is a great idea because most of the people there have done exactly that. It's just a really common thing in trucking. The, the largest trucking company in the country started with one guy in one truck. That's just a really common thing. So if you want to be around people who have done what you're trying to do, these are the places to do it. One of the issues I've dealt with forever, I did a lot of tax work uh, for owner operators and the issue we've dealt with forever, and it certainly hasn't gone away. In fact, it's, it's becoming an even bigger issue today is that, you know, the guy owns one truck. He's doing great. He's making money. There's lots of work. Most of the time in the trucking industry, there's no real shortage of work. Uh, it's finding profitable work that that is the challenge, but they're ready to grow. They add that truck, they go to hire somebody, and they look at how complicated employees are. All the taxes and state taxes and withholding and all the rules around, you know, it, we have a little bit of a break in trucking. We don't deal with overtime rules and some of the other stuff, but there is a lot about having an employee And this industry seems to just default to, well, skip all that. Just call them an independent contractor instead. And I've been fighting against that for years. I've tried to tell guys, look, when you own that truck and you put a driver in it, they are not an independent contractor. I don't care how many contracts you write. I don't care what you get them to sign. They're an employee. And and you better treat them that way. And that, that has been around forever, hasn't changed, probably getting worse these days. Yeah, I, a huge part of my business, I mean, well over 50% of my business now is dealing with the independent contractor model. And, and you know, I'll be talking about a little bit of that at the, at the event as well, but I do a lot of this work. And it, is, it has always been complicated, as you mentioned, um, but it's getting far more complicated these days um, because the government has just basically created an all-out assault on the model. And... Um, and it's really troubling for lots of reasons. There are so many people, you know, owner operators being a huge part of that group that, that like the concept of independence and they like the concept of being able to kind of be their own boss. I've always said that truck drivers are cowboys. Um, you know, it takes a special kind of human to get behind that wheel and to spend weeks away from their families and, and, you know, travel all over the country and deal with the different weather and road conditions and all kinds of crazy things. Um, that is a really special kind of human being. And, and, and I would like to see the government support it more than I think they're doing right now. Um, but without question, there are rules, um, and the rules are getting more and more complicated about what is an independent contractor, uh, all, all across the board with the gig economy and everything else, but certainly in trucking as well. And so, um, it's a, an important issue. I say this all the time. An independent contractor is not truly an independent contractor unless they bring two things. Number one, equipment. And number two, driving services. And so um, it, it can be a, um, 
easy default to say, well, we're just going to put them on a contract and call them an independent contractor. But with all of the different tests that the government has, and they're different, like the IRS has a test and the Fair Labor Standards Board has a test and everybody has a different test. You know, you better know what you're doing or you could be in a lot of trouble. And I love to spend time talking to you about this because I'm sure I could learn even more. Like I said, it's something I've been dealing with forever. But uh, if you look right now, I, there's a bill in Congress, I think it passed the House, didn't make it past the Senate, that's very similar to California's AB5 rule, which is disastrous for trucking. Um, the Department Absolutely. of Labor is writing some rules right now. I mean, that just came out recently that the Department of Labor is looking at this. Yep. But we've always kind of in the past gone by the goofy 21 question test from the IRS, which is a nightmare. Well, who who is really going to be the final authority on this issue? Well, you know, interestingly, we thought the Supreme Court was going to be the final authority on this issue when they took up the yeah. California Trucking Association case and the AB5 uh, issue a couple of months ago, and then they declined, and, and we were all shocked. I mean, we just absolutely thought we were going to get some certainty there, and not only did we not, did they not even take it up and give us any certainty, they just said, eh, not interested which is really shocking to a lot of us for a lot of reasons. We could talk all day about the politics behind this, but um, but we were very surprised. You know, one of the key issues for the U.S. Supreme Court is to deal with what we call um, distinctions between circuits. You know, anytime there is one, that one circuit of the 11 circuits in the United States and the federal system, uh, one circuit takes one approach and another circuit takes the other approach, then just like the fair faith, full faith and credit clause, you, you can't have different parts of the country dealing with something like interstate transportation, interstate commerce differently. So the court is supposed to um, provide some continuity and some um, direction relative to we're all moving in the same way. We're all on the same path. We're all in the same lane. And, and we have clear splits between the circuits on these issues. Uh, the ninth, the seventh, the eleventh circuits all have different questions, different ways of approaching these issues. And the court just said, we're not going to take it. We're not even going to look at it. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to give you any decisions. We're not going to give you any guidance. <laughs> and we were all shocked. Yeah. So, so we're confused. I would have answered that question very clearly before this and said, oh, well, it will be the Supreme Court. And today I don't know who it will be. Um, nor do I understand why they said, no, we're not going to take that case up. But um, there was no opinion with that. It just said, no, and that's all we know. So uh, we're all kind of treading some uncharted territory right now. And what, you know, just like you said, AB5 is a disaster for the trucking uh, industry. And California, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, trucking has an exemption for meal and rest breaks. Well, not in California. <laughs> anymore so um you know everything's a little bit in flux right now yeah you know it it really is here's another great advantage to you know getting involved and attending um conferences like this which is what we're talking about i've been dealing with this issue for decades and i i've never felt like i really had a good resource i think i might have just found one oh good yes (laughs) yes resource yeah I, i love being a resource yeah, I, I, I love that. That's, that's it, what it's all about. 
you know, it, it's the, it seems like the more I read about this topic, the more complicated it gets and the more confused I get. And, and now I kind of understand why. Uh, but it, it really well, is. That, a, that tells me you're a very smart man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is a big issue in so many ways. First, when, you know, when I get my first truck or I lease onto a carrier, this is a, a, an area I should understand then. Even more important, if I decide to grow my business, I really better understand this. And as a, you know, if I decide to become a small fleet owner, I do have an option. I, I could, if I put a driver in my truck, I own the equipment. I have told people, don't even look at this. They're employees. Treat them that way. Just be done with it. Um, but I could also go lease other owner operators under my authority. And and in my opinion, mm-hmm. they they truly are independent contractors as long as we just do a couple things right. Would you agree with both of those? I I would agree with both of those. I would also say that you can lease uh, someone who's leasing equipment and doesn't have leasing or owns their own equipment, their own CMB and doesn't necessarily have motor carrier authority. I mean, that's the issue while y'all were talking about earlier and you were a hundred percent correct that, if the number is more than 90% of um, the, you know, 595,000 active motor carrier authorities in the, in, in the industry, um, uh, more than 90% of them are authorities that have less than five trucks on them. Five. And okay. so, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. And just like when you talk about, you know, some of the bigs that have 15, 20,000 uh, vehicles running under their authority, you think, oh my gosh, it can't possibly be, but but it really is. And um, and one of the reasons why a lot of owner operators and small companies, you know, struggle is because the regulatory oversight and the reporting and the necessity for all of the FMCSA regs and all that kind of thing are so complicated that you can't run freight and run your own business and be a human being and handle your family obligations and things like that. And do all the regulatory work too. So, so there is an option for a driver to be a contractor when they own their own equipment or they're leasing equipment from a third party, whether that's Ryder or somebody else, um, and to come on and not necessarily have their own owner-operator authority. Now, that's certainly something that I'm always going to tell my clients and owner-operators as well will make a stronger case for an independent contractor. But right now, at least the way it stands in most states, you could do either and still be within the rules given certain circumstances and parameters. Yeah. Complicated circumstances and parameters. So you need it, help with this. You it know, is. This isn't that a, is all true. Yeah. This isn't a DIY project here. You really need help with this. It, it, one of the reasons. Please was, do not do legal zoom. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Please um, do not. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other reasons I was so involved in this is for uh, a lot of years, twenty plus years. Um, part of my business model was I did have some trucks under my own authority running independently, but the bulk of my business was I had a small fleet contracted to FedEx. So I, I was an mm-hmm. independent grant contractor to FedEx running under their authority, but I had multiple trucks and I had drivers as employees. That, that really kind of mm-hmm. encapsulates the whole issue. And, and FedEx has been taken to court over this multiple times over the years. 
I always thought it was mm-hmm. funny that every time FedEx went to court, they would end up paying this huge fine. They'd make a couple minor changes to their contract and we'd move on. And 10 years later, it would happen again. It was like nothing was ever resolved. It was just like, it, it almost seemed to me like just a payoff to make the IRS go away for a while. Yeah, we could talk about this all day. This is, I mean, that happens with agencies and it also happens with plaintiff lawyers, but um, we can, you know, a lot of the time it is due to the fact that there's a lack of true certainty. You know, you mentioned the, the crazy IRS 20 factor rule and all these other rules. You know, the funny thing is, is, is that nowadays, given the way that the rules have all evolved, I'll take the 20 factor test every day over some of these other tests that are really, really troubling for trucking. But, um, but, but it does happen that way. You know, a lot of times there's just not a lot of clarity. And so, um, the getting back to the business of being in business takes precedent over the risk management and strategic approach to avoiding the litigation that may come in the future. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that this is uh, part of your topic when you're speaking. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I want to bring Brent back in here real quick um, on a topic. Um, one of the things we deal with a lot with, with my clients is very similar to what I was just talking about. Many of them buy their first truck and they lease it to a carrier. It's really an easy way to get started in the business. Many of them, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of these things. In fact, I've probably been the biggest critic of them forever, um, the lease purchase. And it's not because of the legalities. I, that doesn't bother me at all. What bothers me is we put a lot of people in business with a lot of risk that shouldn't be in business. They, 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 it, it's so easy. Um, you know, if you can fog a mirror, they'll give you a, what today is now a $220,000 piece of equipment. Um, trucks have gone through the roof, the price. It, you know, they, the, these fleets have been very critical of these programs. They roll in a whole bunch of new shiny trucks and they park them over there and say, that could be yours. It, the odds of that truck ever being yours are slim to none. I know the statistics. I work with people all the time. Um, but it, it's just a part of the industry and we have to deal with it. But I, I love owner-operator startups, what I specialize in. I wrote a book about it. Um, and... Earlier, you'd mentioned a partner's list. I have a whole chapter on that. It's one of the most important things in my mind when you're starting a business is finding those partners that are going to, one, keep you out of trouble, and two, really help you grow and be better in business. Um, And then one of the things we see, if they become successful at that model, it's very common they now want to become a carrier and go out and get their own authority. Um, This issue that we're talking about uh, legal issues, insurance issues, that is a big, big part of this. And most people just skip it. Again, they're not very proactive. All they know is they have to go get an insurance policy. Um, Brent, one of the things I, I want to talk about, you had made a comment earlier. Um, insurance seems to be one of those things that the cost just keeps going up. The one thing that's always shocked me over the last 30 years I've been doing this is that one truck you know, guy gets his authority, becomes a carrier, one truck. Those prices to me seem like they are so volatile and all over the board. And sometimes those do actually go down, or it seems to me like they have. There were times when, you know, one truck, you were paying six or $7,000 a year for insurance. And then all of a sudden it's 14,000. Now I've heard 30,000. And yet somebody will call me and go, oh no, my insurance is still $6,000 a year. 
That, that to me seems so volatile. What's with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated answer that I don't think anybody truly has the, the right of way. Like we we're talking about legal issues earlier. I think there's several answers you could get to that. I would say what I notice in that is that there's fewer players in that segment than there ever has been. Why that's the case, I'm, I've, I've got to look at trends in the insurance industry where there's been a lot of years where they've been unprofitable. And I know I know your listeners are probably going, how can that be if I'm paying $10,000 for insurance a year for one truck? Uh, but but the statistics don't lie that the, the highly unprofitable for the insurance companies, which has called several of them to exit that segment. And then I think there's little things, little factors that have a big impact on costs, like an MBR that's run on the driver you have for that truck. So if you're an owner, a fleet owner, and you're having a driver um, in that vehicle that maybe has had a blemish in their three-year MBR, that's going to increase the price for your for your entry-level startup cost. And you've got to look at the age of that equipment, where you're taking that equipment. And it's no secret. I'm not here to beat up on individual states, but I'd say if you're, most of your miles are in California, Louisiana, and Florida, you're going to have higher insurance costs because those have been known as more judicial, uh, I'm just saying, elbows. And, and it's been... <laughs> a problem for insurance companies to come out ahead uh, when they're sued in those states for, for the rules that have been set for them. So it's a lot of compounding things. The only advantage I would say in that lease to purchase model I've seen is that you, the title is still in the, in the uh, trucking company's possession. So you can take advantage if they have a very uh, sound physical damage rate on their, their equipment, you would take advantage of that. You would hope. Um, when they're providing that from your insurance. But then it goes back to what we said before. You have nobody advocating for you on the inside. You're kind of taking their word for it. You have nobody reviewing what that provides you. Uh, and you're just kind of uh, sitting duck, hoping that things work out well for you if there's a claim. So really, really a lot of moving parts there. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, uh, it's definitely a concern. And, and I don't know that it's going to get better. I think technology is going to continue to play a factor on what costs are there insurance companies getting into that segment too so you're, you're, the, the rules of the game and what you're being graded on are seem to be evolving yeah it well it does answer the and question hey, hey kevin yeah go ahead Carrie. hey i i have a question for you sure. um because I, you know and i i agree with what brent's talking about here and and because i work so much in this space particularly with both leasing companies and motor carriers and you know, it is complicated. There, you know, capacity is the name of the game. You know, it's it do whatever you can do that's going to bring a driver in because we got to, you know, move the freight and that's how we do it. And so, um, you know, what opportunities you can offer, what things look good to people, what gets them interested, that's all very important. I'm interested from you and, and your clients and the work that you do about what is it that moves the needle for an owner operator as far as what are they looking for from motor carriers? What are they looking for from leasing companies? What makes them productive? What uh, advice do you give them to make them productive and profitable and those kinds of things? And I know that's a huge question, so I, I'm not asking you to, you know, go, go and all that. I'm just saying that when it comes to building these kinds of programs, um, you know, the, my clients, and some of them are, are only 10 truck companies, 
you know, but they need to get into the owner operator model because they're looking for capacity and they have uh, available people with equipment who can fulfill that need. Um, but we're always looking for how do we make it better for them? You know, the operator needs a place where they're going to be loyal and they can be productive and they, you know, yeah. coming in and out of a motor carrier and that's not productive for them. They're going to lose money every time they make a switch like that. You know, um, so I'm always interested in that. We actually, I, I, this is a, a topic I've covered for years and I'm going to touch on this a little bit at the event. Um, we actually dug into some numbers because I did accounting for owner operators for years. Um, I wrote software uh, we're sort of out of the hands-on accounting business. We don't do it directly anymore, but I wrote software that's basically QuickBooks for an owner-operator. It's an online software program that helps them do all their accounting and get prepared for taxes. So we actually dug into our numbers about, and this is 15 years old, uh, but we could show that for an owner-operator, one truck, he drives it himself, he's leased to a motor carrier, um, switching carriers would put about a $7,000 hit on their bottom line for the year. Just switching one time. That's mm-hmm. how much it, that's huge mm-hmm. because back then most owner operators were, were netting about 60,000 a year, some far less than that. Um, 60,000 mm-hmm. was actually a fairly good owner operator lease to a carrier and to take a $7,000 hit, that's huge. So, you know, we would, we would first off in the book I wrote, the, the program, I wrote a whole chapter on how to find the right carrier to partner with. And it's so exhaustive. I actually said nobody will do everything on this list. But if you do 50% of it, you're going to be so far ahead of the rest of the pack. Find the right carrier first. So you're not switching later on because it, it is outrageously expensive and it'll set you way back. So what, what are these guys looking for? Well, the first one we can just get out of the way because it's what everybody's looking for. They want more money. Um, the problem here is comparing contracts and how much money you're going to make is like trying to compare cell phone plans. Don't even bother. Um, there are so many variables. You know, they might look at, well, this company pays this rate, but some companies pay a percentage of the freight. Some companies pay a straight mileage rate. Mm-hmm. Neither one tells me anything. Um, I, I, I can't really predict much just from that number. So a couple of, so we set the money thing aside because that's what every owner operator will tell you their first issue is. But it's, it's too complicated to make a decision on that, although that's what most people do. And then that's why they end up six months later looking for another carrier. They jumped a contract because this carrier pays three cents more a mile. There's so many other factors. The next one I would say, though, that is a big one, that carriers do have a lot of control over. You know, most carriers don't have a whole lot of control over how much they're going to pay. There's not a lot of margin in freight. It's a tough business. Exactly. The one they do have a lot of control over is um, freedom and autonomy. Letting these guys be truly independent, not overly controlling. And, and one of the models that I think has been very successful at this is Landstar. And I've worked with Landstar for decades. And I've said, if you want a trial run at having your own authority and being a carrier, but you don't want all the risk and all the expense, that's Landstar's model. 
you, you are contracted to them, you're working under their authority, but you have more freedom in their system than almost any other system I've seen. And, and I think that's why they've been so successful. Right. They, they, you know, you don't have a dispatcher. You know, that, that's such a contentious relationship in trucking. It always has been. Um, the dispatcher controls a lot of what you do every day. And you don't have that at Landstar. There are none. You, there's, a, there's a load board. There's freight available. You just go pick and choose what you want to do. Um, many carriers, if I'm an independent contractor and I'm leased to them under their own authority, they tell me when I can take time off. I mean, I, I just, I, most carriers, you just can't say, well, no, I don't want to go to work today. Or no, I'm taking a month off in the wintertime because I don't like driving in bad weather. That, that's almost unheard of. And yet, Landstar, that's exactly how it works. You, don't, you only go to work when you really want to go to work. Nobody calls and says, hey, you haven't, you haven't taken a load in three weeks. So I, I think that is probably the biggest thing a carrier can control that these guys are looking for. Just more freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that go into all those issues, and uh, I worry about Landstar. I, I know it's got a, a great longstanding model, but given the way the government is moving, <laughs> I'm concerned about how, you know how viable that's going to be. Not because there's anything wrong with it, because I do think they do a great job, but um, but man, the regulations are looming large right now. Yeah, I would have to believe. Maybe you could clarify this for me. I, I, my impression has always been, if the government starts cracking down on carriers using independent contractors that have their own equipment. And I think you and I would both agree, those are true independent contractors. Even someplace like FedEx, where they did exert quite a bit of control over my operation, a lot. Uh, That was one that, no, I couldn't say my trucks aren't working today. Uh, I had to supply a service to them. If my truck had to go in the shop, I had to rent trucks. Uh, If a driver wasn't there, sometimes I stepped in and drove. Um, they exerted a lot. I had to wear a uniform. My truck had to be painted a very specific color of white. I mean, that, that's how much control they exerted there. And I, I was okay with that. It, it worked for me. I made a lot of money there. I was able to sell my contract when I left. Um, but I, I would think, and maybe you can help me with this, that looking at the different models in trucking from the lease purchase kind of thing, which seems to me like could be really pretty iffy with the, the government cracking down all the way up to Landstar's model where they're really about as hands off as anybody in the industry. But you almost seem to think you're worried more about their model. How come? Well, so, so I wouldn't necessarily say I'm worried more and I'll use an example that you'll hear me talk about at the event. You'll, but I also use all the time. And that is the way that this model has evolved from a regulatory perspective starting with the fact that under the federal rules, under the um, FMCSRs, the the Code of Federal Regulations, the definition of employee in the federal rules um, having to do with drivers, that, that part of the rule having to do with drivers, specifically says an employee for purposes of these rules is a driver, someone who operates a commercial motor vehicle, 
uh, under the authority either that they have or that someone else has, whether they are employed or contracted. And and you think, well, wait, 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 wait. How, how is that possible? How can the government itself equate the two? And, right. and I want you then to go back to what is the purpose of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulation? Well, it's the safety mandate, right? The safety mandate is what brought the FMCSA into being. It's what its purpose is. Everything from uh, the rules themselves to the granting of authority to the new uh, interest audit, all of those things has one singular purpose, and that is to ensure that what the FMCSA says its mission is, is to reduce death and injuries from the operation of, uh, associated to the operation of commercial motor vehicles on the public highways. So if that's their basis, they don't care whether the people behind those uh, steering wheels are black, red, purple, green, or, you know, polka dotted, nor do they care whether they're employed or contracted or anything else. What they care about is that they are hired, supervised, trained, and appropriate to be behind the wheel of that vehicle while it's operating on the public highways. And so you start with that on one side, and then you go to all of the independent contractor tests, whether it's the six-factor test or the economic realities test or the 20-factor test or whatever it is, and all those are based on control, right? The right. more control that the, that the master has over the servant, the more problematic that is from the perspective of all of those independent contractor regulations. So you have the federal rules on the, on the left hand, control, control, control. Why? Safety, safety, safety. On, on the far right hand, no control, no control, independent, independent, right? So what does that, where does that leave trucking, which is very unique in this space yeah. because of the existence of the federal rules? You, you bring your left hand and your right hand together and you make a tiny little space, you know, teardrop <laughs> space that I call the eye of the needle, right? We are left as transportation to thread the eye of the needle between too much control, which violates the government's independent contractor rules on independence, and not enough control, which would violate the government's FMCSA rules related to the safety mandate on not making sure that you have safe, you know, yeah. appropriately hired, appropriately supervised drivers. And so transportation is very unique in this space because of those competing and diametrically opposed positions. Got it. So, again, from, from my point of view, being very involved in two really large carriers when you talk about this space i i, I think landstar might have twenty thousand ten. 10 I, I know it's more than 10 i don't know what the number is uh recently yeah. um independent contractors that's their whole model they don't hire drivers they don't own mm -hmm. equipment um and then fedex and specifically fedex ground that division that's why i started with way back in the 80s when they started they have been a hundred percent independent contractor, not, not the whole of FedEx. FedEx has divisions that are pure employee, but FedEx ground started as pure independent contractor always has been. Um, those two systems to me are at the opposite end of that control spectrum. Like I said, FedEx exerts a ton of control on their contractors and Landstar almost none. I mean, that, that almost seems to be like the, the kind of spectrum to me. And I, and I would have thought that Landstar was probably well, more safe, but it sounds like nobody's really safe. 
it, that's the problem is that nobody's really safe. If you, if you're doing it really well on the independent side, then you've probably got some risk on the, on the FMCSA regulatory safety mandate okay. control side. Got it. And then the reverse is true. And, and that's the problem. That's the tiny little eye of the needle that's that we thread every single it. day. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Thank you. If, if you're if you're really good and you're safe on one side, you're probably knocking on the door of violating the other side. Why it's so hard in transportation right now. Uh, you know, I, I know I've kept you to a long time. I'm going to touch on a couple more topics and I'll let you go. And I'm really looking forward to meeting and talking to both of you too. Um, is there a statistic anywhere that, that we can find? And I, I want to set aside the, the small carriers who have their own authority right now. I, I want to compare um, a large carrier that either hires employee drivers or contracts with independent contractors. Are there any statistics about which group is safer? I don't know that that I know, a lot of companies, a lot of the companies that I work with may, and not all of them do, but some of them may track that internally. Certainly the government doesn't track that because of what I talked about earlier, the fact that they don't look at drivers that are contracted versus employed any differently. Like the federal, the FARS data, the federal um, accident reporting, um, fatality accident reporting system, um, that doesn't look at them differently. That just looks at um, accidents that result in fatalities and involve a commercial motor vehicle and a passenger car. Um, so I don't know of any main line, mainstream kind of place where you would get that information. I don't know if ATA does that or maybe OIDA. I've never seen numbers like that other than for a few carriers that track it internally. And, um, and my recollection of those is that there's just not that much difference. And, and what's interesting about this, so, so I really wanted to get down into the weeds about this and, and I wanted to go toe to toe. So I've had people ask me before whether I would testify in front of Congress on some of these issues. Um, and I could really twist the knife here because <laughs> the issue is, you know, if you want those numbers to be the same, if you want employee drivers to be just as safe as, as contracted drivers, which is, by the way, exactly what the federal motor carrier safety standards stand for, then, then there shouldn't be a difference. Why? Because they, they should all be quote controlled in the same manner, right? They should have the same kind of training. They should have the same kind of check-in. They should have the same kind of telematics. They should have, I mean, all those things that a motor carrier does and puts in place to meet its responsibilities under the safety mandate of the FMCSA um, should create an equality in those two populations from a safety perspective. Um, if there's a difference, then one would wonder if you're, if you're actually taking on responsibly your requirements under the safety mandate. So, so I would love to have that conversation with people who make legislation because um, I don't think they recognize it. You know, I don't, they just don't, they're always looking at this issue in front of them, which I think often has to do with tax revenue. 
um, instead of looking at the longer term and larger, you know, broader implications of their decision making. Yeah, which comes back to the political side that you and I could probably talk about for mm-hmm. days, that this is not safety mo- not, not <laughs> safety motivated the way they'd like to make it think that it's probably more revenue no. motivated than anything. But And not that I'm surprised, but it yeah. seems pretty short-sighted to me if safety were the issue, the government should be tracking that number. Uh, you would think so. And, and more importantly, that... Um, which is one of the things that frustrated me so much about the Supreme Court's decision to wave off the CTA case. But, you know, here we have an industry that is so struggling coming out of the pandemic, which, you know, it absolutely rose to the occasion on. I mean, you've talked about how close the margins are and how, you know, I've talked about how difficult capacity is to find and all that kind of thing. All those things, you know, drive the um, difficulty in trucking. And then the pandemic hit, and everything has to, everything moves by truck anyway, but everything just gets exemplified and, and all these things have to be moved in, in a hurry and trucking rises to the occasion. And then what do they do? Keep a bunch more regulations on it. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> and isn't this such an integral part of what we're fighting with our economy right now? Supply chain issues, inflation, trucking. The supply chain, absolutely. Yes, trucking touches every part of this and yet... We don't seem to be focused on it at all. I have an interesting story real quick on this topic. Um, I I was hired by a uh, a carrier to come in and help with their owner-operator program. They were really struggling recruiting and keeping owner-operators. But it was a pretty unique operation. It was uh, straight truck, local. You had to own the truck, and then you actually had to hire a helper. It was a two-man job, so you had to hire somebody. And they delivered high-end furniture and appliances. So, you know, that you're taking really expensive appliances and furniture into expensive homes. So they had developed this personality profile. They, you had to pass this test. It was the first part of the employment process. They gave you this personality profile, and it was a, a pass-fail. I mean, there was no black or white. You either met their profile or you didn't, and if you didn't, they wouldn't hire you, wouldn't even talk to you, wouldn't explain why. Uh, they just wouldn't hire you. So they brought me in, and I kind of looked at their system, and I was coming in to help guys with accounting, and you know, so they weren't struggling so much on the business side of things. But during the process, I thought, I'm going to try something. I tried to get hired by them anonymously. They were they're nationwide, so I, I went to a local, um, one of their operations and tried to get hired. They wouldn't hire me. Here they are paying me to come in and fix their contract and make their contractors better. They wouldn't hire me as a contractor. And I was actually on a call, wow. with the, we were on a conference call with the CEO one time and he was bragging about this personality profile. And I said, I think this personality profile may be part of your problem. And he said, no, we spent so much money on this. And I said, I know. And I said, I, I went to the company and asked what the criteria was. And here's what they were doing. Because of the cost and the the exposure facing the public so closely and they were looking for people who were really, really conscientious and careful and followed all the rules. And that's what the whole profile was all about. I said, that's wonderful when these guys are at that house delivering freight. 
I said, but you should probably think about going to an employee model because you're hiring independent contractors. Guess what? The personality profile for an independent contractor is totally different. And he said, no, we took that into account. And I said, I don't think you did. And he said, we did. And he kept arguing. And I said, look, you wouldn't hire me. And he said, we would hire you in a second. He said, you could bring 10 trucks over to us right now. And I said, no, you wouldn't hire me. And he said, we would, I promise. I tried. And I said, I tried. I was turned down. Nobody will even talk to me about it. And the whole call went deadly quiet. It, 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 mm-hmm. That, to me, was part of the whole issue. This is a different personality profile when you're talking about people who are truly interested in running an independent business. It doesn't mean they can't uh, be I safe, completely agree. But that's not... That's not that. Look, I'm a rule breaker. I have been my whole life. I hate rules. Give me a rule. I'll find a way around it. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. Cowboys. Yeah. You, you said it earlier. Yeah. Um, one more thing Absolutely. real quick. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I just want to throw it out to you. And maybe the, the three of us could talk a little bit about it at the event. Um, I said I wrote a book and a program on how to buy your first truck. It was really targeted towards people who are going to buy the truck and then lease to a carrier really specific for that market. I've been working on a program for a couple of years and the world changed and I kind of set it aside for a while, but it's a, a very similar program, step-by-step, how to move from being leased to a carrier to becoming a carrier and how to do it right. I mean, there's so much in there that nobody pays attention to. They all focus on the getting the authority part. You know, look, you're going to do that one time and you're never going to do it again. Pay somebody to do that. Focus on what's changing in your business, and a lot of things are changing, um, I'd love to get, uh, one of the big issues is insurance. I mean, here's something I've seen happen so many times, I try to warn people against this. They go pay for their authority, they go through the process, they have the waiting time, and then they wait till they have it to go look for insurance. And Brent, what happens sometimes when you do that? You talked earlier about trying to hire a driver with a bad record. What if the owner has a bad driving record? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something I run into far too frequent. I, I hate to admit it, but um, it seems to be an afterthought. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show, which is that insurance is, whether you're one truck or you're a thousand, it's always going to be a top, I would say top three expense. Some would argue top five, with fuel being as crazy as it is right now. But, um, but it's definitely a top expense and something that should not go unchecked and, and something that should be explored long advance to put together a, a business plan. That has to be one of the things that you look at and, and make certain conservative assumptions on um, when evaluating if this is a viable business to get into or not. Because I've seen guys get to that last phase. They have it all figured out. The freight stairs we've all talked about, they're somehow find a reasonably priced equipment. They've got a driver ready to go and they get to the insurance piece and they're thinking, and talking to their friends who've been doing it for 20 years, yeah, their price is this. Yep. Well, and then they get to that, that, that final quote phase, and it's quadruple sometimes, five or six times what they had budgeted for. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a sad reality that we're faced with, and I don't, I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Uh, based on all the various topics we've hit on in this call, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a puzzling deal for sure. 
Yeah, and so I, again, I you know I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now, but maybe when we're together, I'd love to run some ideas by you on things I want to make sure I get into that program and I cover. Carrie, I have to believe you would have all kinds of input for somebody who was moving from being leased to a carrier to becoming a carrier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I've worked with those people, you know, whether they were involved in contract disputes or agency disputes or whether they were involved in accidents, and then working with the motor carriers and the, and the equipment leasing companies, um, there's so many different things that I think they miss that they don't understand. And when I have small companies come to me and they, they're looking to grow and they're trying to do things and I'm taking them through my business health audit and, and oh, I didn't, I didn't know that this thing existed. One of the things I love about insurance companies is uh, particularly groups like Higginbotham and um, they have these resources available and, and they'll tell you about them when you sign up and then you promptly forget about them. Exactly. But, but they're typically... <laughs> Part of your premium, you're paying for them already, or maybe they're offered at a very reasonable price, um, but but you forget that those resources are available. And so I'm always looking for ways that they listen. Here are the things you need to do, and here are some resources. You don't need me at my rate to do that for you. You can get that at a cheaper place here. Let me do what I'm really good at, and you can't get any place else. But you know, just getting the resources, having the research, knowing who provides those at a reasonable price. And then, you know, I say this a lot and I'll say this in my presentation, um, think from the end to get to the beginning. You know, don't start where you are thinking about what you're doing right now. Think about where you want to be a year or two or five from now and think through, talk to people who've been there. Um, think through what that's going to look like and then and then kind of walk yourself back from that goal to where you are and make sure that that each decision you make is building on that next one and not just necessarily getting you by today. Well, uh, Carrie, you just touched on another one of the seven habits happens to be number two, begin with the end in mind. I've been preaching that for so mm-hmm. long. That is such a such a great mm-hmm. way of looking at things, and, and you just laid it out right there. Begin with the end in mind uh, is a great way to approach this. Mm-hmm. I, uh, look, I, I could talk to you two all day long, and I'd love to, so I'm looking forward to uh, being together with you for a week or so. Um, just real quick, if we could, Brent, go over the, uh, the, the details of the conference itself and you know when and where and cost and what people could expect, and uh, we'll go from there. I I, and sure, I, I sure. would love to see some of my listeners there. That would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. It would be. We, like I said, this is open to anybody that can benefit from the content. I feel like it's everybody listening to this show. They've already taken the first step, which is to better themselves by listening to you and the content you put out. So love to have them there. So what we've done is we've got two separate dates. Um, there's a website. It's refueltruckingconference.com. So it's literally the the word refueltruckingconference.com. If you go there, it's going to have a, a place where you can register for the event in Memphis or in Nashville. Uh, both events, uh, the one in Memphis starts November 1st, which is next week, 8 a.m. Central Time, and it goes through 1 p.m. Central Time. That is going to be at the Holiday Inn, University of Memphis. Um, you have an opportunity to get a discounted room uh, through a reservation link that we have if you choose to do that if you're coming in early the night before. Um, 
Same as in Nashville. That's going to be on November the 3rd. That also goes from 8 a.m. Central to 1 p.m. Central. Uh, and that's going to be at the end of the suites with Springs, where we also have a discounted room block as, as well there. So um, highly encourage folks to come. We've got the best speaker lineup we've had since we've been doing this. I think it covers all array of topics from technology to you know, legal issues to operations that you're going to be covering to uh, past ATA chairman. Um, so lots going on here, lots to uh, networking opportunities from larger groups that will be in attendance. So anybody that has questions can feel free to uh, go to that website I had mentioned earlier, refueltruckingconference.com, and uh, we'll give you all the details. Fantastic. All right, uh, Brett or Carrie, anything you guys want to wrap up with? Go ahead, Gary. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited, really excited to talk more about uh, what you do and what you offer and uh, learn more about the perspectives from the owner operators because they're, you know, they're what push this business forward. We couldn't do what we do without them. So um, looking forward to that. And, and thanks to Brent for inviting me to participate in this event and, and continue to help this industry we love. Fantastic. Um, Thank you both. Yes. Look, really looking forward to it. So thank both of you today for taking time out of your day and joining us and giving a preview. Like I said, I I could go on all day with you two, but I know you've got to get back to your day. So uh, I'll look forward to seeing both of you next week. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. All right. We are going to open up the phone lines um, right now. Uh, it's a free-for-all. Anything goes. You can talk about insurance. You can talk about the conference. You can talk about whatever you want, uh, but we'll open up the phone lines. We don't have any calls on the line right now. I, we really didn't uh, mention calls, but we are going to do them, so we are ready. Uh, let me see what I've missed. Um, oh, uh, we did post the link to register. Um, I'm sure. Well, I'll check. We, uh, I know it's on truckingtribe.com. Did we put it on uh, Healthy Tribe and Facebook too? Probably. So you should be able to find the link to register for us. It is free, by the way. Um, the, the conference itself doesn't cost anything, and you're even going to get fed. So I, I'd love to see some of my listeners there. I, I would say anybody interested in being an owner-operator or already is an owner-operator, if you are thinking about getting your own authority or have your own authority, this would be an awesome conference to attend. Don't look at it as just an insurance conference. It, that's, that's, it's an insurance company putting it on, but they are really going to be covering a lot of events. Uh, I, I was shocked that, uh, or a lot of topics, I mean, um, I was shocked to get invited to be the keynote here because I, I, if I had to pick one area that I know the least about in trucking, it might be in, well, compliance would be number one, insurance would be number two. So going to an event like this, um, I'll learn more, but I was a little surprised that uh, I was invited, but it's because they really do want to touch on all of these topics and they have some uh, great speakers there as well. So Get signed up if you're going to be anywhere near that area. Um, I think we're doing Memphis first. It's all on the the post. You'll see it there. I try not to worry about details till we get closer. 
Um, we'll be in Memphis first for a couple days, and then we'll head over to Nashville, and we'll finish up over there. So you have two opportunities. Um, I'd love to see some people there. That'd be awesome. Phone lines are open. Uh, I'm going to wait just a couple more minutes. Calls don't seem to be coming in, but if they do, I'll take them. Uh, let me go back and see if I had any topics. I really didn't have any topics today because I knew um, those two were going to be really interesting and we'd have a lot to talk about. Um, even if you just went for the insurance part of it alone, honestly, that would be worth it. Having a better understanding of insurance would be worth it all by itself. But the networking opportunities, I think... Um, are really the big part. We, we've talked about that forever. You know, when we did our CMC, that was an expensive program. I mean, that certainly wasn't free. Uh, it was a big time commitment as well, five days. Uh, our program was five days long, our CMC. Uh, it was $1,800 a person. You know, we estimated that a husband and wife team coming for that whole week would probably cost them about $10,000. When you looked at revenue and all the other things. And what, what surprised me was how many times people came back, multiple times. And we started asking people because you know what? Even though I kind of freshened up the material every year, it was really 95% of the material was the same material. When I freshened it up, it was just maybe trying to find a better way to present it, make it a little easier to understand. But I would ask people, you know, the material is basically the same, and they would agree. Um, there's only so much to know about running a good trucking business. I'm not going to make stuff up. So it was really the same material, maybe presented a couple different ways, but I would ask them, it's a big investment, and you keep coming back. And, and they would say, well, it's, it's good to hear it again. But more importantly, they were coming for the connections. And that's really what I've found. I, I've been to conferences where the material itself is just not that great. Um, a, a lot of the, the TCA conferences or, you know, they'd have a, some interesting speakers, but that wasn't the big part of it. For me, it, it, it's always been the connections you make, the, the, the resources, the people who are there that have done exactly what you're trying to do and they're willing to share or... Um, just making those connections and having those connections in the future. Um, that has been really valuable to me. I did a, an event uh, with truckstop.com a couple of years ago. And truckstop.com's events primarily were brokers. Um, you know, the load boards have two totally different customer bases. They have brokers and carriers. But for the most part the brokers use those services far more than everybody else, whether it's truckstop.com or dat or any other load board, the brokers were far more active. And when I went to these events, it was almost all brokers. And, you know, I talked about this and I invited some of my listeners to come down. I was going to be speaking at one of the events, a multi-day event. And a couple of them did couple small carriers came to that event. They were like rock stars. The brokers were all over them. They wanted a chance to talk to owner operators and small carriers at, at an event like that. And I got to tell you, 
couple of the people that came as, as owner operators and small carriers said it was the most valuable thing they had ever done. Um, they made so many good connections and they had time to really sit down and talk to people. So I would encourage you to check it out if you're going to be anywhere near that area next week. I'm going to be heading there. Uh, I'm taking off out of here on Friday. I'm actually taking a train to Memphis. So uh, I'll take one train to Chicago and then I'll take a train from Chicago down to Memphis. And for me, that's just a, a couple days to really kind of put all the finishing touches on on the presentation itself and um, looking forward to a little break there and working on the presentation and thinking about it. And then uh, after Memphis, we'll head over to Nashville and we'll do it again. And then I'll probably fly back. So I'd love to see you there. Um, I think I'm going to wrap this up. We don't have any calls coming in. So we will wrap this up today. Uh, I am not, this week the radio schedule is completely normal. We're doing the show every day this week. We've got, uh, we've got a couple big things going on this week. One, um, Danielle and I from uh, Four Sigmatic. I almost got two of our guests mixed up here. I'm working with two people right now. Um, from Four Sigmatic, Danielle and I will do the part three of the uh, sleep protocol she's helping me with. Uh, we'll report on that. I've got some pretty interesting findings to report on there I'm excited about. Um, we also have uh, Kara joining us from NutriSense, the uh, continuous glucose monitor. I, I've been wearing their monitors on and off for a couple years now. I took a break. I'm wearing one again right now. And it's interesting. Um, Several things have changed quite a bit on on blood sugar, so we'll uh, we'll be talking about that. We are also trying to put together an episode of the pit. Um, I'd love to get Noel Perry to join me. Uh, Noel is the uh, financial analyst in the trucking industry. We've been working with Noel for years. Just a excellent uh, analysis on on where the trucking industry's headed, where the economy's heading, and more important, where the trucking industry is headed. So uh, let's see what else we have going on this week. All kinds of stuff. All the regular shows, um, the Power Hour tomorrow, Destination Health on Wednesday. So stay tuned for that the week after. The radio schedule might get a little weird. I haven't sit down and tried to figure it all out yet because um, – some of those days I will be in the event. So I will not be able to do uh, the show a couple days next week. We are trying to set things up so that there is a show every day. Uh, and as we get closer, I'll let you know what that schedule is. Uh, we do have a call, so I'm going to grab it. Let's, uh, let's go to North Carolina. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, it's Mike. Uh, I just heard you say about your train ride that you were going to do. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, my uncle and his caretaker from Manzanita, Oregon, took the train back to where I grew up, and, and they got the, um, it went to Lexington, Nebraska, which I'm sure goes on through your Chicago. Um, just be aware that he said their ride, that ride in that, in that train was so rough that they literally bought airline tickets to go back. They would so, not ride it again, so, so just be aware. No, wait a minute. They went from where to Portland? 
or they went they they live in Manzanita out there on the coast, so they got out there in Portland there, I'm sure, somewhere. Where did they And they start? ended up getting off in Lexington. Well, it had to have been Oregon someplace there, probably oh. Portland. I don't know where the train starts. Oh, yeah, the train starts. And, so where, and they got where, off. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought they were coming west. They're going back east. They, so no, they started, uh, started in yeah, Portland they, and got off where? In Lexington, Nebraska, right in the center of the state there. I believe is where they got off. North Platte, maybe Lexington, I'm not sure. That wouldn't but that wouldn't have been they, this train. This train from Portland. Well, it wouldn't have been, okay. Now, this train from Portland to Chicago actually goes really far north. It goes through North Dakota. Oh, okay. Yeah, this, yeah. this, this okay. one goes through. I mean, you're probably better off. But. Well, here's the thing. I, Lisa and I have taken this train several times. This is not my first trip on this train. No, oh, it'll, be, it'll be my first trip from yeah. Chicago down to Memphis. I'm not, I don't know what that's going to be like. Right. This is what's called the Empire yeah. Builder from Portland to Chicago. Runs every day. Uh-huh. Uh, we've been on it several times, and I would I have to—I would have to say the opposite. There was no issue. Oh, really? Yeah, no issue with the ride on the train at all. Now I've talked about the fact that it's a shame that Amtrak is, you know, pseudo government because you can tell. I mean, the, right. the train—it's—it's it's outrageously expensive. It really is. Uh, if you're going to get a car, and I'm if I'm on a train for 48 hours, I'm not sitting in a seat. There's just no way. The whole experience is having the little right. car to yourself and your own bathroom, and but it, it's outrageously expensive, really, compared to a plane ticket. And mm-hmm. the the amenities just aren't that nice. They're, they're really not. You look at right. you know some of the rail systems even in Canada, and certainly the rail systems in Europe. They're known for being, you know, almost luxurious compared to Amtrak. Amtrak is pretty, um, it's, you know, no frills. But just the experience, you know, for me, three days away from just about everything. You know, I, I, I will do some writing. Right. It's just a, a relaxing way for me to travel. And, you know, as a truck driver, you travel all over the country, but you never get to see anything. I mean, it's not like you can sightsee while right. you're driving. You miss most of what you're going past. So I just love, and here's the other thing. That train doesn't travel anywhere near interstates. I mean, it, it's back into, it goes right, right through Glacier National Park. Uh, the scenery is stunning. So um, it, it's, a, it's a really nice experience. But we haven't been on it in a couple of years. The last time on it, that whole ride was smooth. I don't ever remember the ride being an issue. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I was just, they, they got off and they said that they was never so well off out in their life. And, wow. And they, you know, they yeah. just bought airline tickets back. They said, of course, I'm, I'm sure they came across like the Rockies and went through that scenery somehow. Or, yeah. I don't know how they came, but yeah, I'm not they sure. just. Um, I'm not sure either. They, um, yeah. There, there's, the, you know, it's not even like the but airlines. They, there's only so many routes on the train. I've, to get to right. Kansas City. I actually took what they call from Portland, I took the Coast Starlight down to L.A. And then left from L.A. to go to Kansas City. And, and that was another great ride. I don't, in, on all the trains I've been on, um, I don't remember the ride being an issue. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I didn't know which way you were going. I just remember, I mean, I, yeah. was, I was in Nebraska and, huh. and when they came through and, I was, God, I, I, I was kind of surprised, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, it's possible. It, it's 
possible, I guess, they may have started on the Empire Builder and then somewhere, you know, got off and headed south. It, it's possible they went all the way to Chicago and then came back to Nebraska. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because like I said, there, there's not a lot, of, a lot of routes, so you don't necessarily do things very direct. Like I said, who would, who would leave Portland and go to L.A. to get to Kansas City? But that's how you do it on the train. Yeah. Yeah, I I know that you know Amtrak goes through uh, Lexington, Nebraska. There, and I'm I'm just assuming that's where they got off. I don't, yeah, I probably. don't remember. Yeah, yeah, that's the other interesting the thing about the back. train. There are lots of little tiny stops. I mean, there are some stops where there's right. like you know a, a little shack there, and that's all that's there. Uh, especially going through North Dakota, you see a, a lot of that kind of stuff up there. So it's just an interesting experience. Right. Okay, well, I didn't want anything else to let you go, so I just got to tell you that. Thanks for the call. You got to handle it. Yep. Let's let's go to Maine. Casey, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Um, A quick question. Quick question, really. Um, You're talking about your, um, your stuff you've been doing on your sleep and things like that. Are the recordings already on... They, Audio road or they are not. We're holding all three. Okay, I was going to say because I've been looking for them and haven't found them. Yeah, everybody <laughs> is. We we kind of wanted to put it out as a series, so you have all three parts and you can listen to them straight through. Okay, and what, so, will those be on Destination Health or they, they will be on the app? They'll be under Destination Health and. Okay. Whatever day we finish the recording this week, I think it's Wednesday, um, they'll either be posted that day or probably the next day at the latest. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's all I got. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go to Chicagoland. John, welcome to the program. Oh, hold on. i got to press the right button. There we go. John, welcome. There's the beep. There it is. Have a, have a show suggestion. Being okay. You haven't done one of these since you got onto the new platform. Uh, basically, tax deductions, possible deductions, and just talking about tax uh, taxes that you can do for your trucking company. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea for a show. Yeah. I think we would do that the same way we just did the um, the health show on sleep. I think I, you know, I, I used to be able to do tax shows entirely by myself, and that's just not the case anymore um, with everything we've got going on. Yeah. I don't totally stay up on that topic as much as I'd like to, but I have a couple people I could certainly invite in, um, and I think that kind of show right. works better as a, as kind of an interview two person. So I have a couple people in mind. I think we could do that as a series. That would be awesome. Yeah. Another one of the back to the, well, it's not really basic, but you know, I wish it was basic. Same but you're type right. of idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. No, nothing basic so. about 600,000 pages of tax code, but you're, you're right. We, uh, we can at least try to simplify it as much as possible. Right. You know, going through the whole having your kids as employees and yeah 
what yep. you're able to write off and what you're not, you yep. know, it'd be a huge help for a lot of us out here. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. Thank you idea. very much for your time. And we could talk about the S-Corp issue and should you be an S-Corp or not. Um, you know, thinking mm-hmm. it through with everything that's going on, um, Congress is about ready to change, I hope. Um, probably yeah. schedule something for like that for January. Early enough. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll do part one in December and we'll cover all the issues people need to be aware of before the year ends. You know, there are certain things you should be doing for taxes. Everybody thinks of tax time in April, but really, if you're in business, Mm -hmm. tax time is all the time. But the end of the year, at least December, you should start looking at things. Uh, just off the top of my head, one of the big topics I would push in December is there's two big benefits to it. I would be in December, I would be pre-buying everything I could pre-buy. One, we're still Mm -hmm. running 8% inflation every month. That means anything I don't buy this month is going to be more expensive next month. So the more I pre-buy, that's a good place that people want to know where to invest your money. Invest your money in pre-buying right now. It's an 8% return. Um, So that's one advantage to pre-buying in December. But the other advantage is everything we buy in December lowers our tax bill in April. If we buy it in January, it doesn't lower our tax bill for 15 months. So, yeah, I think the the way Mm -hmm. we should schedule that is part one in December to tell people how to close out the year. uh, And then we could do another... Um, part or two, there's so much we could cover in January. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I even look at getting part one end of November, beginning of December. So they have time to react Yeah, to yeah. get the Not stuff a- purchased before the end of the year. Not a bad idea. I think we'll put that on the list. All right. All right. Thank you very much for your time and looking forward to hearing it. All right. Well, have a welcome. good day. Thanks for the call. All right. It looks like uh, we are going to wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.